This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in... Over here! With a friend, and found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. You might think most banks are the same. At Premise, we agree, and we don't like it. Most banks have been given a pass, and we wondered why. Then, we wondered why not. Why not cut red tape? Why not offer actually free checking? Why not send a driver to you? Yeah, literally to your door. Premise is here to be different and be the first bank to get it right. Welcome to banking as it should be. Visit premisebank.com to see how. Member FDIC. This is That Mill Podcast. This is a special show. This is a slightly unusual show to what we normally do. We are going to be talking, luckily enough, uh, we were going to be talking to two ex-players. We've definitely got one online. We've got one, hopefully, possibly joining us a bit later on. Uh, we've got Merv Payne, who's obviously wrote Ordinary Books. Um, what this show's about is uh, probably... Six, eight months ago, I was introduced to, or I, I briefly met a couple of times, but I was introduced to uh, a guy called Tony Lynch, who's on the call with us now. Tony, um, his dad, Ted, was suffering from uh, dementia, um, early on stages of dementia, which I'm sure he'll explain in a bit. And we had discussions about how we could possibly use the influence and, and um 
my social media accounts and, and connections I've I've built up over the years through various roles with Millwall. Um, if we could get stories together, and the idea was is that what we wanted to do was get some fans to uh, possibly email in some stories. Me and him were going to do a show. We get some fans emailing some stories. He could then send those stories um, over to America where his dad was and um, help give his dad some memories of, of back in the day with the teams and everything else. Uh, we sent him over some uh, footage and some uh, videos of old games, which uh, his dad recognised and his dad reacted to. Um, and Tony was watching them with him on FaceTime and and, uh, and video call as such, but FaceTime. So it was given a connection um, then, obviously, when his dad was on the on the um, on the path with dementia. Move forward to now. Unfortunately, um, Ted lost his life. Uh, unfortunately, passed um, through through this horrible illness. So what we decided to do now is that. Uh, We've got Merv on because Merv did the um, the Ordinary Boys book and Ted was mentioned in that book. Um, and again, we were looking at John Sitton because John Sitton mentioned Ted in the book as well. They were, there's quite a story around how he um, and the Lynch family got involved uh, with the 79 team as such or certain players within the 79 team. So what we decided was that we'd do this show and throughout this show, we're going to talk about memories around that time. Um, we're going to talk about Ted. We're going to talk about what went on and memories and this, that, and the other about Millwall connections and everything else. And then ideally what we want to try and do is get people to email in stories. Don't, we're not asking you to do incriminating stories. We'd love it like, you know, the first game you took your son to or the first game you went away or certain games will give you memories. We're not looking for war and peace, you know, a few paragraphs, stuff what means... And then we're going to look to try and put them in a book. Um, and then we're going to look and try and sell that book to raise money in Ted's name for dementia, for a dementia charity of, of Tony's choice or a hospice or, or whatever way we want to do it. But we're going to do it in, in the memory of Ted. So if I know the Millwall fan base um, in that world, they will hopefully help us with this. Um, it's a mad idea. Um, and normally mad ideas work eventually once you've got quite good people wrapped around you. Um, Merv's offered expertise and the player we've got on tonight, those of you who already know the show, possibly already know, is um, we've got Alan McKenna, who was um, obviously quite prolific during that era um, and a good friend of um, Ted and the Lynch family, even to this day, a good 30-odd years later. So I'd like to welcome Alan to the show. Hi, Alan. Hope you're well. Yeah, I'm fine, mate. Thanks very much. Nice introduction. Thank you. Yeah, I knew, I knew Ted very well. Very well. Uh, excellent, excellent. And we've got Tony. Tony is uh, Ted Lynch's son. Tony is obviously um, very new to these sort of things. I've managed to talk him into to getting involved. Um, he is going to be nervous. Um and it might at stages get very emotional. So I'd like you, you know, if you're listening to this, just to, to bear with us. Um, if if there are pauses in the show, um, I think it's it's done. He hasn't long lost um, his father. So um, I'd like to just welcome Tony and, um, and just ask him really to explain um, about Ted and obviously with the diamond, with the, not dimension, with the dementia. Hello. All right, Nick. Thanks for this. Um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, 
I think it was last year, my dad came over and we was at Millwall. And, um, you know, we all sort of talk fairly quickly and, you know, we'll, the way we all speak and you understand each other. And I only sort of speak to him on the phone because <clears throat> he lived in America. And he came over and we went down the den, obviously. And uh, I could see that, he, you know, the way he was talking was just a little bit different. And he pulled me to the side and he was with his wife, who's an American. And he said, I've got something wrong. I want to tell you, I've got something wrong. Uh, you know, what's up, Dad? You know, and he said, I've got something wrong with my brain. I said, yeah, but I know that anyway. You know, like, I've known you all my life. I know what you like. And he said, no, 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 seriously. He said, I've, I've got dementia. He said, I've, I've had the tests and all that. <clears throat> so when I go back, they're going to tell me exactly what it is. And um, if I'm honest, I weren't sure how to take that. So in the normal sort of South London way, I went to him. Yeah, well, I knew that. And he sort of looked at me. He said, how do you know that then? He said, I've not long found out. I said, well, you borrowed two grand off of me a couple of weeks ago and you haven't mentioned it. And he laughed, he knew, and his wife, who's an American, right away went, I don't think he did borrow any money. <laughs> so he had to sort of say, like, joking. And then me and him sort of walked off and uh, walked up towards the seats. And, um, yeah, he, he got a bit emotional, saying to me, you know, it's going to be not long and I don't know if I'm going to remember you and you know so it was quite quite sad to see me dad and we bumped into a few of his friends Kevin Danny and a few others on the way who we spoke to quickly and yeah I think even they could see that he, you know because how we talk now yeah. he was sort of talking like that so you knew something weren't right but yeah I felt it happened the he deteriorated quite quickly, I felt. Was it? Because the next, oh, I'm sorry, mate. No, no, I, I was just still, I think you're going to answer. I was going to ask, was it Was it quick once he'd been diagnosed as such or, or had you had some inkling over um, over the years as such that something wasn't necessarily right? No, no, I, I didn't. Because he's always... He's, you know, he's a Millwall supporter. He's the way we all are, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, is it all right to swear or... You can you yeah. can say whatever you want. You can say, come fuck, whatever you want. It, it, it does not matter. This is a South East London radio show and <laughs> we have warnings, so um, you can say whatever you want. So, no, he was like, you know, you speak to me, go like, he's fucking cunts, then I'd have had a fucking say to him. And so he was just... And then, I don't, it just sort of... Hello, how are you? And you, first of all, I thought, is he drunk? But he hasn't drunk for years. You know, he hasn't drunk for He really did look after himself. I mean, I don't know if I can find a picture, but he really, really did look after himself. He exercised, he ate properly. You know, he was really on it. But um, he went back and then he came back six months later for his sister's uh, funeral. And... Um, I mean, yeah, look, I mean, that's a that's a picture of him. I don't, you know, not too long before he was diagnosed. He's seventy-two. Christ, I'm fifty. <laughs> so and fat and but, ugly. Thanks for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Daggy shit. 
and then when he came over, he was definitely even worse. And this was in like, I think this was in four months. Right. So his wife asked me to come outside just to have a chat about, you know, where he was. And so she was talking to me saying, you know, they're, they're really worried about him because she has to work. He's now got to have someone sit with him. But there was a day that someone couldn't sit with him. And the police found him up the road, wandering down the road. You know, like, I asked him where he was going. And he said, he, I'm going to London Bridge Station. I'm getting on the train. I'm going down to South Bermondsey. You know, we're, we're talking like these small-town Michigan Michigan cops. You know, like, they're like, where? Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm going to Millwall. As far as he's concerned, yeah. he's going down to London Bridge Station to get on the train to... Or as he'd call it, the rattler. I'm getting on yeah, the rattler yeah. and I'm going down to South Bermondsey and uh, I'm going to meet my son. You know, they're like, hang on a minute. So, because this small town where he lived, they knew his wife and him and my dad, uh, her and my dad worked at this army charity. So they knew, so they called her and that to come home. So she was telling me this and he's standing a couple of feet away talking to his family. And he's going, like, who the fucking hell is she talking to? Is she chatting someone up? And then they're looking at him because they don't know. They're looking yeah. at him going, that's your son, Tony. So straight away, and I do think we are quite quick. You know, we're quite quick. And um, he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, of course it is. He's just moved. That's what it was. I couldn't see him. He moved. So, and then you could see he was just... As that day went on, he was getting tired. He was getting angry. The only three people he recognised there was me, his wife, and my cousin. And even my other brother was there, and he kept asking me, is that Danny? Is that Danny? And he'd go over and talk to him, and then he'd come back, and then a couple of minutes later, he'd go, is that Danny? So, and then, yeah, he started to get a bit aggressive with people because he didn't know where he was, you know, so... I mean, I've done, I mean, obviously, um, when um, a good friend of ours, Darren, um, put us in touch, we best give him a plug or otherwise he'd get upset. Um, <laughs> when uh, I'd, I'd spoken to Darren before about a project I was working, I've, I've been looking at wanting to do for about a year and a half about um, people with Alzheimer's and dementia where, I don't know where it come from, but football, um, believe it or not, is supposed to be a real help towards uh, this illness, this horrible, horrible illness. I mean, let's not hide from it. It is a horrible illness. And uh, and allegedly football can help remember. So I was looking I'll at... Tell you this, Nick. When, when you... Sorry to interrupt you. When you no, no, no. I spoke to you, I'd FaceTime every day to speak to him because they... So he went into hospital in December. Yeah. And then by January, they'd had him in a um, sensations care home for... Alzheimer's and dementia <laughs> and I would FaceTime every day two or three times a day and you know like if you're holding the phone yeah. and you're talking like he would be she'd hold the phone and he'd be like you know he didn't want to and then after a while we started to recognize me a little bit and all the time I was showing him the family we'd all say hello dad and blah 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 showing him my dog and he'd like that's made me laugh me and the kids and the wife are up and he's going dog comes on he goes dog dog you know like but he couldn't talk properly yeah. and then you sent me them videos and i sent them all to him and she sent me video after video of him 
sitting there with a cup of tea watching Millwall. And right. something had happened and he'd be pointing, you know, like pointing. You know, it was it was nice to see him hooked into his football because yeah. he was a coach. He was the head coach of Michigan football. Uh, sorry, the head coach of Michigan State soccer. You know, <laughs> it's like 10 times the size of England. Yeah. And when, when he died, I was getting messages. Well, my sons were getting them on Facebook from people up and down the state who played football, who's, you know, and their kids who were saying he, he changed their football career, you know, like they was just sort of rubbish. They're Americans, you know, like yeah. they were rubbish. And then uh, one of them sent a message of it, him going to them in the game, like, come here, listen, don't be fucking shooting from here. You're not fucking good enough. Get over there. And, you know, but they all found that because they don't swear, do they, Americans? They're not like we do. You know, yeah. we go, oh, fucking raining, like the fucking, put the fucking kettle on. <laughs> oh, how fucking are you? You know, that's the way we talk. Yeah. So it, they loved it and they seemed to take more attention to it. Right. So when you sp when I spoke to him normally, he would just be, you know, but when the football was on, like we are now, he was sitting in front of a computer, like a big computer that she got in a reclining chair. It was quite heartbreaking as well because he had to be strapped in because he kept trying to get up and his muscles yeah. had all wasted away and he kept falling over. And But, yeah, the football definitely helped him. And she said that, that a couple of the um, videos that he said, I was there. I was there. Right. So he knew... He knew what was what. Yeah. Yeah, he was glued. And so even when I run, whilst he's watching the football, so she's trying to go, look, it's Tony. And you could see him sort of like, not that he's fucking, I'm trying to watch the football, you know, like. So, yeah, they, they, there's, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but to me, looking at him while he was watching the football, there is definitely a link mm -hmm. that, especially if you love the game, you love the game, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've no, been watching Belarus football while while we've been on lockdown because you love mm -hmm. the game. So you know, for that to be somewhere mm -hmm. in, because frontal lobe dementia apparently your brain starts shrinking at the front and the sides. Right. And so for that to sort of click and you know, he's glued to that football. Something's there. Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. So I mean, Alan, how did you come to? to get in, in touch with this, by the sounds of it, uh, a mad South London family? Well, it happened after a game. Some of the players had to go up to the Jubilee Lounge. And uh, it was just one of these perks you used to get. And you got free drink and all that, which to a Scotsman is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so, and can we go back to the beginning? Please don't call me Alan. Everybody knows me as Jock down there. Okay, I'll call you as Jock. If you want, oh, all right. No worries, Everybody no worries. Knows me as... Stop be careful these days, eh? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jock would be all right. <laughs> yeah, what happened is we're in the Jubilee and Ted came up to me and he said, uh, I'm Ted, I'm a real supporter. These are my boys, Tony and Danny. And he asked me to come up for dinner. So the first time I sort of politely refused because I, I really haven't a clue who he was. And he kept pestering me and I went, right, fine, I'll come up. Yeah. And we went up for dinner. And from then on, 
uh, with his wife Eve. I was constantly with him. Uh, I would take the boys down. There used to be a grassy area at the front of the flats and play football with them. Because Alan Wembley. lived up. That Sorry. grassy area was called Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's when I dug it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I only lived up the road at Dulwich. But uh, from then on, uh, the friendship grew with me and Ted and the kids. And it grew that much that Ted and Eve came up and the boys from my mum and dad's 20th anniversary in Edinburgh. So, so, so you got quite was, a... We were pretty close. You got quite pretty a good close. relationship for, yeah. for over um, 30, what, 30 plus years. Yeah, yeah. Now Alan and his wife are friends with my kids as well, so... Yeah. So you've yeah. all just just grown up really and the and the friendships um got better. I mean, so how was it for you then having that connection with a Millwall player? I mean, uh, how did that work out for you then to have a Millwall player that close to you? Oh brilliant, wasn't it? it was, you know, he was always up our ass and and all your friends would be, you know, like it's he plays for Millwall. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Are you mean now? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it's nice. It's nice. It was, you know, we, where my dad and my uncle Brian used to sit in, in the Jubilee bar, and me and my cousin Christopher used to have season tickets just in front. Yeah. So after the game, we'd sort of climb through the hole, like the fence that separated it, and we'd go in, and we always, always saw Alan, yeah. So it was great, it was great. The thing with, with Ted was, uh, in the days, uh, Ted was so well known, it was incredible. And in the days, the pub shut at half past two. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah, yeah. when I finished training, I would meet up with Ted, and Ted would chap the window of pubs, and the head would pop up, oh, it's Ted. So I would go in the pub with Ted. <laughs> and we'd have a few beers, or I would probably drink an orange and lemonade, being a professional football player, you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember that about you, Aldi, orange and lemonades, I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, everywhere we went with Ted, it was, it was different class. Mm. Absolutely different class. Really he, good uh, He used to make me laugh, the old man. He'd go, you know, like, what, like when I, I told him I was doing the knowledge, and he'd go to me, yeah, you know, if you, if you go up so and so, they've got a pub on the corner there, he does a nice pint of such and such. Go a little bit further up, there's a pub on the left there, don't go in there, it's horrible. Go, go a bit further up, you're like, Dad, I'm doing the knowledge. You know, I won't be going in the pubs. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you're right, we did everywhere we went, tap, tap, tap. Oh, yeah, come in, come in. That's the, uh, that's the thing, though, that's the old Bermondsey way, though, isn't it? Mm. Is um, but, once, once, you've, once you've been around there a while, then, uh, you know, everywhere, and everyone knows you, um, or Dulwich, wherever. But yeah, Peckham and, and everywhere else, uh, yeah, they uh, they know you all round everywhere you go, don't they? So yeah, I know a few people like that. Cross at the time, we was in New Cross at the time on the corner of uh, Pomeroy Street and Queens Road. But yeah, it was uh, yeah, he, everywhere he went, everyone knew him, and it was quite nice that when he did die. I had some great messages off of people, you know, like people you hadn't seen for ages, and even strangers. So to 
to have people talk about your dad like that, you know, yeah, it's quite emotional, really. He's my dad, you know, he's my hero. Hardest man in the world, my dad, you know? Yep. No, they always are, though, aren't they? That's the, yeah. you know, they always are, and you don't expect anything to, um, um, you know, don't you don't expect anything to ever ever happen to him and whatnot. So yeah, no, I understand that completely. How how was it you then, Merv, when you when you come across this story? I mean, because obviously, Ted's in your book. Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, well, I was going through because thanks to Chris Bethel and Phil Coleman, I was put in touch with pretty much the whole squad. Um, but unfortunately, a few of the numbers were out of date, so. Uh, I couldn't get hold of certain people, so I sort of, what I did then was I, I, I tried other means, um, and Alan was proving quite hard to track down, and, and I actually got hold of him through his son on Facebook. Um, yeah, that's right, because, yeah. Because um, he's also a legend in, it was our growth, wasn't it? You, yeah, yeah, played our growth twice. Yeah, and you was you banged the goals in there, didn't you? Yeah, I had a good career up there. So I somehow tracked his thumb down online and messaged him, not expecting to get back, and he got back to me um, and, and, and put me in touch. And my chat with Alan, oh, don't get me wrong, all the, the, I enjoyed the chats of all the Millwall players. They, they, were, they were great. Um, but some of them, their memories are a bit sketchy and they, they remember sort of the same things. But my chat with Alan was probably one of the most enjoyable because of these little side stories, a thing like, you know, the lynches and one of the first stories that Alan recalled. And Jock. that was a thing Jock. I, I was after. <laughs> Jock. Jock. Yeah, okay. I'll bring this up. <laughs> Jock. Yeah. Excuse me, <laughs> Mr. Jock. Mr. <laughs> Jock. <laughs> but for me, I mean, the thing that intrigued me was obviously that, as was a lot of clubs, smaller clubs at the time, they drew their youth teams from the, from the local, from the local sort of lads and almost everyone to a man in that mill team was, was local. Yeah. Uh, obviously, obviously, Alan was from Medinburgh, um, and I was fascinated how that came about for a start. Not, not only that, I was also fascinated how a 16-year-old, you know, because it must have been really tough to travel that far and to on, on what was already probably a tough start of a footballing career as well. Um, I mean, must have been must have had all sorts of issues, homesickness, and things must have been very strange for him. And and I was intrigued to know how how he managed that. When everyone else was a local, and that was when that all came. That was that was all down to the you know down to the lynches, and that's when we got that story, and it did it, it did sort of trigger with me because I read John Sitton's book, mm. and I remember him mentioning the lynches there as well. So <laughs> clearly, my first reaction was, it, you know, it's such a typical mill thing that you know, you know, they're not they wouldn't that that's the first thing they think of doing is that they they know, you know, they they're knowledgeable, so they, they knew of. If Alan's back, then they knew he was, you know, a long way from home, and that he he needed a friendly face to help him with his mule career, and that's what they did. Um, obviously, I can't, and Alan will probably tell you, I'm sure that helped. That was instrumental in, in him setting him down so well, and he had one of the more successful first team careers at Mill, I think, out of that class of '79. I mean, what made you join Mill Walden? How 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 did that come about then, Joe? Well, there is how I got to Mill was actually I was actually on the books at Glasgow Rangers. Jock Wallace was there, and I found out they were mucking me about uh, in games, not phoning me when I, sh I should be getting played. So I, uh, I just told them, that's it. I want to leave. So they, they let me go. 
And out the blue, I got a trial at Millwall with another player up here. Uh, his name is Gordon Fraser, and we called him Pushkas. We both played with the same youth team, Hutchie Vale in Edinburgh. And we came down at Stockpoges, played a game, I scored two, and George Petchy was there. And uh, George there and then signed him. So that was me. I always knew I was going to be a football player. Always knew it. You were, six, you were 16, 16 at the time, though, weren't you? Yeah. Well, I came down in the March, and I don't know if you recall John Hamilton. He came for Rangers at the same time. He didn't last long. Midfield player. And I was actually in Millwall's first team before the end of the season. So if you're playing juvenile football in local parks, I'm playing first team football within months. Uh, it was just fantastic for me. That's I was always what all all I wanted to be was a football player. And bang, there you go. We um when I spoke to John, John Sitton, by the way, is um giving his apologies. Um the decorators and everything else, his house is in madness, so he's is unfortunately um, can't make this show, but we're getting on another one. Um, he said that back then that the youth players were um, a lot further developed as players because you um, you were playing in the lower league or the the, um, so the greater London, yeah, yeah, in those leagues with um, with proper professional players who were out injured on their way back. So you're talking, you know proper pros, 28, 29, 30 coming back. So they went in hard. It's none of this where you're playing other youth. You're, you're playing against proper men. Um, and back yeah. then, you would have been playing with proper men. Yeah, well, if you were lucky, we'd play on a Saturday in the youth team. If you weren't in the first team, you're playing the Saturday youth team. Usually, a Tuesday or a Wednesday, you had a reserve team game. Now, we were that good we would be playing in that game. So you'd go down to Portsmouth and all over the place. And you'd be basically, as you say, 16 playing against ex-pros who are coming to the end of their careers. They don't want to run about. So you're going to get taught a lesson big time. So they would kick and punch and God knows what. And you learnt from that. Yeah, I think Phil Coleman said to me that his first football combination game, he was barely 16. And he was marking Teddy Maybank, who was like an established. And he said, and, he, and then he said, all he wanted to do was kick him. All Maybank wanted to do was kick him, teach him a lesson. And he said, but he thrived on that. He said, and the rest of the youth players did. They they were up for the up for the scrap, you know. And he said, and that's what sort of. Uh, I don't suppose you, you probably don't get that these days. It's all under twenty three academies and that sort of thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, like I say, you was it was you were sort of thrown at the deep end, I guess, weren't you? Extremely. Um, I remember, I don't know, well, you should remember, you guys, Johnny Lyons. We got yeah, him for Exum. Yeah, yeah. And our first away game playing together was away at Blackpool. Mm. Now, I was in awe because Alan Ball was playing, right, Ted yeah. McDougall and Willie mm -hmm. Morgan. Yeah. And they were just unbelievable. <laughs> and we were 2 nothing up about 25 minutes into the game. And the big centre half shouted to me, and I just turned, and it was the first and only time I've been spat on. Wow. And I actually lost it for 10 minutes in the game. 
because Petchy was shouting at me, come oh. on, Jock, what's the matter with you? Mm. And I said to Alainzi, I said, the big boy spat on me. So mm. as we were coming off at half time, George put his arm around me, you all right, son? I says, aye. I says, I've never been spatting in my life before. But I'd done them in the second half. <laughs> I really done them big time. And I, said, I leaned over him and I said, you will never, ever do that to me again, ever. So yeah. that was my memories uh, I mean, first team football. The tackles back then were, were something. I mean, we spoke to oh. Nicky Chatterton and Nicky Chatterton said he was out for about four months with a ruptured liver through a tackle. Oh. <laughs> it was incredible in these days. You know, mm. I mean, we, if we were playing now, we'd be sent off every week. Yeah. That's how bad it is now. But as I, sw- I spoke to Merv about the book and that, and when I stopped playing, I become a scout and then a, a referee, then a scout in football. And they're, they're so mollycoddled now, players. It is incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. And they're miles away from first-team football. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When I play... It's all about the love of the game. I yeah, love yeah. it. You know what I mean? You could pay me a fiver. I'd play. I just want to play. Yeah. These guys, they're earning fortunes. Yeah. And they hardly play. Yeah. It's, it, it, you talk about, about youngsters now. Well, youngsters coming into the first team. Reserves. You know what I mean? They'll never virtually get a first team game. Ever. Yeah, most, most, most players coming in... Um, will never, ever get a shot of first team, especially if they're playing for a big name. Um, yeah. Mill's always had a reputation of of filtering its youth until it obviously closed it for a while, closed the academy for a while. But, um, I mean, I suppose I have to ask this, and I've asked, we've asked every player. Millwall, at the time you played for him, had, um, had quite a heavy reputation. Um, they, they, you know, a traditional working man's club. They had, you know, lower, lower attendances and whatnot, but they were still a very ferocious um, set of supporters. What expected, um, you know, 150% and and wouldn't expect anything less. What was it like playing for that sort of crowd at 16? <laughs> to be honest with you, I loved it. I absolutely loved it, uh, especially when you scored, like. You know, that's most centre-forwards. If you score, hey-ho. It doesn't matter what you do else in the game, as long as you put the ball in the net. But I always remember, there was, as you came out the tunnel, there was about five or six guys on the left. And regardless of what I did in the game, I, scored, I could have scored 10 goals. I was still the worst player ever at Millwall. I was useless. Probably, There's probably other language words I could use, <laughs> but these guys, they were they were grown men, and I just got absolutely slaughtered. Everybody else was fine, no. but just these guys constantly. When you were coming off, you got subbed, and you were, and they would give me dogs abuse. But the majority but, of the fans were great to me, no. absolutely brilliant. I mean, we would. We were talking, remember, we were talking with um, Nicky Chatterton. Who was the player that went to Colchester? Were you, were you playing, you there then when he got chinned on the pitch? Can't think and, who that uh, was now. Paul Roberts. Yeah, Paul Roberts, that was it. When he went to, it was Colchester he went to, wasn't it? Or was it? Brentford, wasn't it? Brentford, that's it, yeah, Brentford. And he celebrated one of the goals a little bit too much and one of the Millwall fans ran on the pitch and chinned him, didn't they? 
<laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, what's your what's your memories from then? How old were you then, Tone? I was probably I was probably about nine or ten. Yeah, it was. Yeah. You know what? It was. It was. It was normal. Mm-hmm. You when you try and talk to people about it, and they're like, "I just don't understand it." It was just normal. You know, I mean, and that sounds a bit cliche, but like my dad, most of the time, my dad stood on the halfway line yeah. at the back, and you'd get there with him, and it was mobbed. I know everyone thinks like Mill's a little club, but it was mobbed. And you couldn't see, and your dad and they'd pick you up, pass you down, get to the front. If you want to come back, hey, mister, I want to go, and they pick you up and pass you back. But it was just mobbed. I mean, we used to go home and away, home and away. Me, my dad, sometimes my brother, um, my uncle Brian and Christopher. You remember Brian, didn't you, Al? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we used to go up and down the country, and it was just going off left, right, and centre. But it was normal. It was normal. So you didn't think, oh, you know, it was just tough. I mean, even now at Millwall, not that there's trouble at Millwall, but just the way we talk. But nigga, you can't, how the fucking hell are you? That's the way we talk. Oh, you can't, it's your fucking yeah. man. Yeah. That's yeah. how people talk. It's a working, man, working man's club. And, yeah. I, and I feel that we're proud of that. <coughs> past, it was. It was just not normal. You didn't think, oh, God, these are all... It was just normal. So what's your best memory growing up then, having a, a Millwall player around you, you know, rather As than I, seeing him on the pitch? Being down on the grass with Alan McKenna. He's a Millwall player. And all your mates are going like, he's Millwall. But you'd have to be like, who? Him, Alan. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he plays for Millwall, yeah. Yeah, and no, he's having dinner with us upstairs. Yeah, he's always round, you know. So that was great, you know. But inside, you're like, Sam McKenna, he's Millwall, he's up my ass, you know. I bet that was great at school, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. All your mates are Millwall and, you know, and they all knew, so. Was it normal, though? Was it, was, as much as it, obviously it's exciting, you know, it's it's great to have, um, and it, you know, a Millwall player come round to your house and dinner and whatnot and, and, you know, coming around to say hello and all that. But I mean, how did you, how was your, how was your dad with it? Was it, was it just as if it was just someone who lived next door or was it, or was it, yeah, it's a bit awful. I, remember, I remember the old man saying to me, mum, look, I've asked this young boy to come back round. Like, what? Yeah, they play for me a wall, like he's down here on his own. Mm. You know, so, and my mum, yeah, fine. Yeah, have him round. Like, you know, we'll try and make him feel welcome and that. I mean, even with like John Sitton, mm. you know, we went to his wedding and everything, you know, it was, it was like, my oh, oh man knows all these lot, you know, so. Was, that that your dad, was it that your dad just felt more like a father figure for him because he knew they were on their own? Or... My old man will talk to anyone. Anyone. <laughs> yeah, that's a sad one, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah you know, like, I, like my wife moans at me all the time. Be, yeah, so does I, my I'll, be, I'll be in, yeah, I'll be in the, in the car or in the cab or something, you know, you start stuck at lights and there's someone there and I start talking to him. She's like, why? Why have you got to talk? Yeah, I can't help my dad's boy. But he, like, especially with Al, mm. he knew that he's down here on his own. He's, he's like, yeah. mm. and the old man, I don't know whether Alan knows this or even if he remembered it. My old man had a lot of Scottish friends. Like, and 
they they used to come down and stay with us when England played Scotland. Remember the home internationals? Yeah. They'd come down a couple of days before you get up, you go in the front room, there's like 13 jocks all drunk all <laughs> on the floor, like stuck, just staying. And then yeah. he'd go up and he'd go uh, like England, Scotland with them at Wembley and he'd stand with them. And then he'd go up there. And I don't know whether you sort of remember this, but at Wembley, there was like, I mean, it was like a home game for the Scottish a lot of the time. Yeah, and then going right. up, to, up to Hampden Park, hardly any English went. Yeah. You know, so he'd go up there and I've got a picture somewhere and he's got, you know, like the old sort of Baker Boy hat, but it's like oh, yeah, red, yeah. Dark blue, red, white, blue. And he's wearing that, walking along with them. And one of them ended up marrying my cousin. <laughs> so, you know, we're still friends with them. And um, <clears throat> they're walking along. To, I didn't go, but he tell, one of them was telling me, my, my cousin's husband, walking along, a load of jocks sort of coming, hey, fucking, and I was all like, he's with us, fuck off. <laughs> but they was all ready to, you know, stand yeah, up yeah. for each other. Yeah, he was home and away. So he had a lot of Scottish mates. So to him, he'd come and played for Millwall, but he's mm -hmm. a long way from home on his yeah. own. Yeah. Less, you know. Did you, when you, when you come down, Joe, did you, were you in board? Were you in um, like the adoption families where you had a family would look after you? Where you, you, you weren't obviously in digs on your own, though, were you? No, no. We had a, a woman, Linda, who looked after us. Uh, it was a huge big house in Dulwich. Linda had uh, three daughters, so she stayed in the bottom. The middle half was Linda's mum and dad. And up in the attic, there was two bedrooms. There was uh, Peter Glazier, I can't remember, he was another centre forward, Big Chris, I can't remember his surname. Chris Dibble? No, <laughs> no, it wasn't Chris Dibble, no. I think this, this chap's passed away, actually. It was the last oh, time I was doing it. I was oh, speaking to Dean Horrocks? No, no. Dino, room with me. Yeah. Because we become real close pals, me and Dino. Yeah. We become really yeah. close. Because he was uh, another one further from home, wasn't he? He, he lived in Slough. Yeah, that's right. Slough. Yeah. So sometimes I used to go back with Dino and stay mm. with him. Yeah. And, but it was like a, a gooseberry. He had his girlfriend there. It was no good to me. No good to the hell. I, I become no bad pool player, but I <laughs> a bit... So, I mean, how was it then that you suddenly, I suppose, really, the age you were, you had this ad uh, adopted family called the Lynches? Well, as I said, Ted met and then I moved away from the club. I came back home and it wasn't until about three or four years ago that uh, we had the reunion for mm. the winning team, the 79 side. And then Tony will tell you, his, his cousin Brian shouted to Tony he's, or text him and says, look, Jock's here. And he went, no, he's not. He says, yes, he is. And he says, oh, but he couldn't even get really in touch with me. So they got a hold of, they got, got a hold of Billy Neal. And he said, look, Tony Lynch is outside, can get Alan to come out. And I came out. Now, I've not seen him for a while. But now he's got two sons that are growing up who I don't think the sons believed Tony that they knew me. Yeah. They say, ah, he's talking, he's talking crap. Mm. But when I seen him, I gave him the biggest hug ever. And I was, I was virtually nearly in tears. 
it really felt that good to see him again. And I remember his dad straight away. So that connection will always be there. Always be yeah. there. That's it, Alan. Yeah, yeah. I gave him the cup winning medals when we got presented the next time. Take pride of possession up with my Millwall ball. <clears throat> yeah, we were, we were saying you've got you've got the Scumfort ball jock still, haven't you? From... Yes, I've still got it. My mum's got it and I've got my winning cup final shirt. That's still, that's there as well. But, uh, okay, I, signed, I, I, yeah, it's all signed. It's all signed. Uh, but I used to come down and see my, my old mate, Bob Pearson. Bob signed me yeah. as the kid. And I always seen Bob. And the beauty of the Millwall team was there was not one superstar in the team as you get today. Mm. We were collectively an unbelievable football team. Mm. Unbelievable. Why, yeah, I mean, why was it so good? I mean, what, what, was, what was the secret what made that team so good? The, for me, it was the passion, the desire, and the will to win. You could, a comparison, hugely, but can you remember when Man United brought all the youngsters in? Yeah. And it, it suddenly went, woomph. Yeah. We were like that. But we were curtailed with bands and cash and whatever. But we were just a phenomenal sight. Yeah. Everybody was just incredible. Individually, unbelievable. Well, I won't speak for myself. That's for other people to say. But Gailey. Yeah. Gailey was just fantastic. His first away game was at West Ham. And he actually played against Trevor Brooken. And he, he, he made Trevor Brooken look ordinary. Mm. He was just, he was, was a fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> Gailey was a fruitcake. He usually walked down to training smoking and then hide his fags behind the fence before they come into the ground. It was ridiculous. But great, great side. Great side. What's your greatest? Sorry, do you think playing in them... Um... You know, like you're all 16 and playing the 30-year-old. That toughens you all up, made you think quicker. Oh. Because they would have been uh, they would have been trying to do you all the time, like you said. So do you yeah. think that made you quicker on the ball? You know, like, so when you're playing your own age... Well, yeah, I, I've been lucky that I had, I had a big brother. And he's two years older than me. So I always played two years above myself. So when I came down... I was quite hardened already, but typical jock, you know, and I was a battering ram up front for Chris Nibble and Carly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was just a fantastic team. Paul Roberts, the captain, now he can be a pain, excuse my French, a pain in the arse. You know, I wanted to do him a couple of times because he just kept going on and on and on. But I would, I would go through a brick wall for the boy. Being captain in Millwall, I go through a brick wall for him. He was just great as a captain, and then you had Phil Coleman. He was oh. another rock horse. Yeah. You had Dave Mehmet. Dave liked to put the foot in now and again. Andy Massey, Big Dino up front with me. So collectively as a team, absolutely superb. Super. Yeah, I, I spoke to Phil Coleman. 
Paul Roberts was one of the younger members, wasn't he? Sorry? He the, Paul Roberts was one of the younger members of the squad. Yes. He? At one point he was, and yet almost immediately, Pearson decided he should be captain. He was made captain, wasn't he? Yeah. And I, yeah. Time, I said, did that not put a few noses out of joint? You know, you've in your like your second year, and he turns up, and he said no. He said he was a natural choice as a captain. Everyone yeah. agreed, and we got on with it. He said, the minute, and he said there was like eleven captains out there. Really, he says so we were all had good football in brains, and we're all very vocal, all well organised, and we were just like all, all pulling together. And I think that that sort of says a lot as well, which again you probably don't get today. Yeah, mm. I, I remember when we played Man City in the final. They had the boy, I think his name Mackenzie. He was a young kid. Be, yeah, um, I'm sure he was Mackenzie, and he was he was getting touted as the next best thing. Yeah, he was nowhere near Dave Mehmet, Tony Kinsella. No. Absolutely nowhere near us. Nowhere near us. I think it was they had Steve Steve Kinsey, didn't they? It was that him? Was it Steve Kinsey? And they had Tommy Caton, Alex Williams in goal. They had, yeah. Tommy Caton, I remember yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. a lot of players just went on to have decent careers, and yet, yeah, yeah. Saying, they were completely, completely overshadowed that night by Mill. from playing for Millwall what, what, what's one of your biggest highlights playing for Millwall um, well Merv should know this one because we spoke about it we, and I said to you earlier on tonight it was the away game at Gillingham I think it was Boxing Day and the fences were up around the grounds and this is brilliant because Gillingham actually played through the system with Steve Bruce and it was brilliant playing against Steve Bruce because he would give you a dig, I would give him a dig. But there was another, nothing ever nasty. It was just good. Two players having to go to each other. And that day, I didn't really know how far Miller had been away from winning an away game. Yeah. And it was a corner kick and I came over and I headed it right in the top corner. 
And I remember jumping up in the fence, and the place going bizarre. But after the game, the police inspector chapped the door in the dressing room and can we have a word with your centre forward? So Petchy went, like, what's wrong? Like, seemingly I started a riot with the winning goal. <laughs> so that was my, that was my, my memory. Yeah, and you can imagine it, can't you? And that was a big game back then, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
And it came out, it leaked out that Palace were looking at me, Terry Venables, and they wanted more money, the club. And it fell through. So if it was the same money, I could have been a Crystal Palace player, the way things were going, because the club needed money. The club just needed money. And we were, everybody in that team was a diamond. But take them out of that environment, put them on another team, would they be as good? I don't know. They were definitely. If we had a, if we kept the side, if George was allowed to keep the side, we probably could have done okay. Yeah, well, it kind of brings it back to the, the Crystal Palace thing again. I mean, what, what they did, they was able to sort of build it. They had, they were throwing loads of money at the, the, the club. They had money to spend, and they the crowds were thirty thousand crowds, and they were able to keep that youth team that won the youth cup in '77. They they stayed in the youth team and won it again in '78, and then they were brought into the first team and they got into the first division in '79. Whereas yeah. while you guys were winning the FA Youth Cup. I think you and you, Dave Memmott and Kevin O'Callaghan were regulars in the first team trying to fight a relegation, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Help the team escape relegation to the first division one day and then get to the and the following season when you probably could have won the Youth Cup again. You were all, pretty much all in the first team. And it was, and as I think Dave Memmott was, was the most sort of, uh, you know, descriptive about it. He said playing in those first division days in the late 70s, early 80s, and you were just up against, you just got kicked. You know, oh, you just got, yeah. you got hammered. Yeah, how, you got how, hammered. how quick you were. You said there's only so much of that you could take, and you play the likes yeah. of Chesterfield and, and teams like that, and then they just have old, big old centre arse, and they would just kick you up in the air. And he said it wasn't really the sort of the, the ideal. So he didn't care at the time, he, as long as he was playing, he was happy, but it wasn't the ideal situation to sort of develop the players. And, and, and it, yeah, it should have part of the story in the book, the running theme of the book is it should have been, you know, what what, what happened at Palace should have happened at Millwall. Yeah. So that, that team should have been the basis for them to finally get into the first division. And the irony was they went down a different path. A new chairman came in, Alan Thorne, brought in a new manager, Peter Anderson, and the whole emphasis yeah. changed from <laughs> the whole emphasis changed from nurturing youth to throw money at old players, the likes of Willie Carr and Sam Allardyce. And Big Sam, in one breath, players were being told, we've got to sell you because we're skinned. And I think Paul Robinson, it was, I spoke to, he was really, he, he was very revealing. What I, and he said, he was down at the training ground with Willie Carr. And Willie Carr said, I don't know why they've signed me. Both my knees are gone. He said, but what they've offered me is so, they've offered me really good money. Couldn't turn it down. I'd be mad to turn yeah. it down. But then meanwhile, we've been told we're skinned, he said. So, so that the youth players have been told, I mean, good example, Phil Coleman was told he's got to go to Colchester. Because they've offered him 15 grand and they needed to pay the wages that month. And he knew full yeah. well that 12 months before Alan Mullery had admitted to him when he saw him at a reserve game that he'd offered 400 grand to sign him for Brighton and they turned it down. So there was all sorts of weird stuff going on behind the scenes at the club. You know, it wasn't just a matter of older skin. They just, they just threw all the money in the wrong direction. You ended up leaving for free though, didn't you? Me? Yeah, you ended up. Uh, I mean, no. Did you I came back up to Barrett Rangers and they paid a fee for me. Okay. I don't know how much it was because, as I say, Peter Anderson just blew me aside. That was it. Uh, my career was finished. Did you just have a falling out with him or? 
<clears throat> no, well, when he first came in, he took me to training in his in his car, just me and him. Mm. And as I say, I put I, I was probably a price asset at the time, and he was bumming me up something. I went, oh, this is great. I'm going to do really well under this guy. And then all of a sudden, boom! Wasn't even playing. Wasn't even selected. It's madness, though, isn't it? To think it's, it's crazy. Probably saying that their skin. And we've got a great youth team. You could like, you know, like you could probably say to a youngster, "Look, just for example, look, you're on ten pound a week. We give you twelve, and they'd have all gone great. You know what I mean? I've got. Do you know what I mean? And then try to push for them. The 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 business thinking and the management. Then it's just crazy. Well, if you're looking, uh, sorry, Murph, when you're looking at your book. You uh, spoke to Dave Mehmet. Now, mm. we are playing the first leg of the FA Youth Cup final at Main Road against yeah. Man City, mm. and not one of us thought mm. of a win bonus. Yeah. We were going into that final just to play and win the game. We yeah. were never offered anything at the start or the middle or up to the final. We were never offered anything. Yeah. That was one of the funny stories that Paul Roberts told me. He said they were at the hotel the morning of the final first leg and um, members was out on the front on a little bit of grass kicking the ball and he just said casually what are we on if we win this what bone and Paul said Robert said I don't know and he said at the start of every season you'd get a sheet and it would be your list of bonuses so this is what you get if you win the South East Counties League this is what you get if you win the Southern Junior Flooded Cup and he said the FAU Cup wasn't on there because it wasn't they didn't think it was possible mm. so they said oh we don't know what we're going to get and so what we're going to do about it so they say to Paul Roberts, you're the captain, you can phone the bloody chairman up and ask, you know. So he goes into the hotel and phones the club and, and asks, and I think it was Herbert Burnage. I think it might yeah. be Burnage. So Jeff, that's Jeff's dad, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he was a director who really took a lot of interest in the youth, youth side of things. You know, he saw the importance of it and he looked up and he said, well, you know, it's not the time or the place, but if you go and win it, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely do something. And well, Alan will tell you what they did as a as a reward for winning the Youth Cup, because that was quite yeah. quite unusual, wasn't it, Al? Yeah, we got, uh, we went to a tournament in, uh, just outside Paris, Orsay, and we won that three years on the trot. And I remember one time there was a Millwall supporter came, just one guy, and he had the, the DMs, the red braces, the, <laughs> the cut hair. We seen them coming through the gate, and we are going, what is that? And then they came over because we were we were waiting to go on and play. And we said to him, how did you go over? He says, hitchhike. I went, what? And he says, I have no eight for about a day. But we had free vouchers for food and all that. So we gave him the vouchers. And there was drink if you want it. We couldn't touch it. Well, some of us couldn't really. But um, So he was in amongst us. So he... We won the tournament again, and then you just seen them leaving through the gate to go back to London. It was just incredible. But the, the chairman set up, we went to the Moulin Rouge that night, the whole squad. Uh, it was just brilliant with the whole squad in there. It was really good, really good. So that was our prize for winning the FA Youth Cup, a trip to Paris to win another tournament three years on the bounce. That's crazy, 
I'm no, sorry no, to no. say, but I was top goal scorer again in that one. So See, obviously, I've never heard of that tournament, though. Murph, do you know yeah. about that tournament? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Phil mentioned it. Um, I think I think it kicked off there as well, didn't it? Between two of the teams, you had to be barricaded in the dressing rooms or something. There was something. Well, was... the the Italians liked spitting. Yeah, that was it. And we, as a team, we were not having that. Well, I I definitely wasn't having it. That's for sure. So we done we done a few, and uh, we were just sort of kids, and then grown men were trying to get in the dressing room against us. So. Yeah, remember, lovely days, lovely days. But that, <laughs> even that just shows, doesn't it? You've won like the FA Cup, Youth FA Cup, you've won that tournament three times. Who in their right mind wouldn't go, you know what? We could be onto something with this lot, and we're getting cheap. We're getting cheap. We're skin. Yeah. We got these lot. Who on earth comes up with. Yeah. I think it was whole, Ad, it was Ad, was it was it Anderson but released Anderson, you. The whole, the whole thing yes. behind it, yeah, I think it all started with Gordon Dago, and he sort of recognised that there's so many clubs in London, obviously, and most some of them are so powerful, got so much money. Your Arsenal, your Tottenham, your West Ham, your Chelsea, that you, you can't compete with them, especially with the crowds we were all getting in the mid seventies. So he said the future's got to be the youth. Now, Jago had come from QPR, who had a very sort of forward-thinking youth set up there as well. Venables come from there. George Graham cut his coaching teeth there. So, Jago brought this knowledge with him. And he said, you know, this is the way to go. And he, he set the ball rolling. He brought in Oscar, uh, the Argentinian coach, Oscar Arthur. Um, who, that's like, he was up the, um, he was up the Pep Guardiola every time, to be honest. He talked to any of the Mill players of that era. And then said he was just, as a coach, he was just, just out of this world. He was, he was one of the few people to, I remember Peter Gleesha said, he didn't sort of just leave the goalie over the up to one side to, to do goalie stuff. He said he would he'd teach me stuff as well. You know, he'd have me doing all these sorts of different manoeuvres and stuff. And he, he made, made a difference. Of course, then Panorama was the first big uh, problem for the club. That caused Jago to go. Um, Oscar went to Sheffield United or something. And, and it, unfortunately, it sort of went downhill from there. Luckily, the, you know, the momentum was started with the youth team, so that carried on. But the various problems, you know, off the field, Sort of, sort of did for them, but it was that whole change of culture. Uh, Petsy, you know, a lot of people maintain Petsy should have been given a chance to see it through because he probably would have done. Um, you know, in a similar way, to, to Mill didn't ditch Harris when they lost the playoffs, that's so how they, they stuck with him because they saw you know the, the club was going in the right direction, it just had a bit of a hitch. Should have been the same really with where Petsy was concerned, but I think the, the, the chairman at the time, I think it was. Leonard Eppel, I think he was. He had enough. He wanted to hand it over. So Thorne came in. And Thorne's attitude was, well, let's throw money at it. Let's not muck about waiting a couple of years for the youth to, 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 to blossom. Let's And and yeah, he, he, like a lot of chairmen and owners or whatever, they were a bit power mad. They want to do it their own way. They want their own man in. And it proved to be a disaster for the club, really. And the irony is, only when they got back to that culture of homegrown players, um, did they actually sort of fulfil the, the dream of getting the first division at the end of the eight, you know, sort of 10 years after the, after that sort of class of 79. And it was based on that culture of players have got to be homegrown players, you know, so, and obviously, fortunately, O'Callaghan was one of them. But yeah, you know, just, everything was just, just went wrong, to be honest, once Petsy was, was sort of outed and, yeah, well, can that I, changed. Sorry, can I ask you, you know, when, um, you know, the, 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 
stuff on the terraces was at its peak and that. What was the yeah. feeling amongst the players? What was did they notice or <laughs> were they like, I want to get away from here or um or did they feel like because I always really. that as players you think, all right, <laughs> but these are our lot and we've got to stand by them as they would stand by us. Yeah, well that's the way I looked at it. Uh, you could see there was trouble in the terrace and and you really didn't want you didn't want to see it, but at the same time you were going, go on boys, go on, <laughs> go for it. And we'll do the exact same on the pitch and we'll go for it. But we could see uh, you guys having a wee tussle on the terraces. But uh, yeah, we were the exact same. It, it, I, I loved it. Because I quite about Neil Harris that he never slagged us off, ever. No, he no. always, you know, Sorry, sorry. I didn't. I loved. Did, I loved it because it, it, if for me it was a passion in loving the club. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't say enough for Bob Pearson. Bob. Yeah. Bob was superb. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. My old man knew Alan Fawn as well. Right. Yeah. Aye, okay. aye. Yeah. I remember um, being at Sheffield United away, yeah. and you know, as we sort of come, we went and sat in the seats in their end. I don't know why. Yeah. Sat down and the old man threw a few fucks and bollocks at like a load of their supporters because we come and you stand out, you stood out in like clothes and shit like that. And they, what are you doing a fuck off? Get out of fucking way, you know that. And we went and sat, and Alan Fulm was just behind us. Yeah. And I remember sort of looking around and thinking, that's that's our chairman. And yeah. he he went, Ted, oh man, even though he's the chairman, you know, like yeah. he was, he was, I mean, he couldn't fault Fulm, he was very sort of passionate about the club, his family. You know, went back a long way with the club, um, but yeah, he just he, he decided he had a certain way of doing things, which is fair enough. You know, he put his money behind the club, but unfortunately, you know, we quite often see it. It's never really worked at Mill when people have said, "Oh, yeah, let's throw money at it." Let's get in a, man, a, a manager that doesn't really understand the club. It's never worked, you know. Um, and you know, you, you, you only got to study a little bit of the history of the club to know that it, the only time it's ever worked is when you've got young, homegrown players who sort of un, and a manager that understands the club. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, that's it. Well, look, I'm, we're going to bring this one to an end. We are going to do, um, and hopefully you'll, you'll do that, we are going to do another show. We'll get um, you back on, Tony. We'll get John on, and then obviously Alan can, and John and we do. And I am keen on, on trying to get a few of these 79 players together like this and 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 pretty much have a um, have a chat about it and, and stuff. And... And obviously, do that here. Yeah, that was my missus, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to do this again, and, and, and I'd love yeah. to get the 79 team on. But thank you very much um, for the guests that's taken part in, in today. This is obviously um, what we want on the back of this is um, for your stories, really. Uh, your stories from, from that era, the 80s, the 90s, what, whatever it is. It's got to be a Millwall related story or something around there we're not looking um you know for for incriminating anyone we just want your um experience whether or not it's the first game you went with your dad or you know a first game you took your son to or or, or those uh familiar sides we're doing this in 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 ted's um in ted's name and ted's memories we're probably it will probably be called something like you know memories of ted or something something to do with there we are going to look at raising um, a few quid if we can for um, a charity and make that donation in in honour of 
um, Ted, and we will go into a bit more detail on it. We will get John sit on uh, on on another show, and hopefully, um, Jock's now realised that it's not as hard work as as he thought it was going to be <laughs> in the beginning of the week. And um, this video call malarkey is uh, is fairly straightforward. Tony, I think you've done well again. You was, it, you were. You were that game for a duck. You was you were the virgin as well. So um, hopefully, you two both um, it done. So look, thank you very much for taking on. Thank you very much, um, Tony, for taking the time to talk about your dad. Um, and and hopefully we can we can do something going forward and and do something in his name and 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 look at taking forward. So I mean. I, I like to end these sort of shows with people's um, final thoughts. So we go to you, Tony, first. I mean, have you got any final thoughts you want to say or anything you want to say? I just really appreciate you giving me uh, the opportunity to talk about my dad. And I mean, I, I probably should have said more about him and that, but it was just nice listening to Al talk about stuff and Merv's knowledge of Millwall and that. And thanks to you for giving us the opportunity. So thank you. No, we will, we will do some more. We'll do some other bits and pieces and we, and we can talk about more. Maybe I'll get you and Darren on, a, on the uh, on the who are you bit and do the questions with you and all that because that, oh, that could be... He has to get in He won't do it on his own. Um, Jock, have you got any, any, final, um, any final thoughts or, or um, a lasting memory or a lasting story maybe of Ted or someone or, or, or anyone? Um. The last thing memory Ted is just I loved the guy. I absolutely loved him. He was a great guy and he was a very, very good friend to me at a very young age in a massive city. But all I've got to say to you guys is be safe. You know what I mean? Be safe for the way things are going at the moment. Uh, just take care of yourself and your families and we'll all be together again, hopefully one day at Millwall watching a game.
That is a spine-tingling moment. It really is. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Hey, Chief, we got a damaged RV on its way to the OR. Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of RV surgery. <laughs> Wait, are you promoting me? Congrats, Martinez. Doctor, that RV's flatlining. Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of nursing. So you're just promoting everyone now? Yeah, kind of looks that way, doesn't it? When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates covered subject to policy terms. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.